Take your Bibles, please, and go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. I'm going to give you a quiz as we begin, okay? You ready for this? Are you feeling scholarly tonight? Can you name for me the man in the family of Saul and Jonathan that David helps? Can you name for me the man in the family of Saul, a son of Jonathan, that David wants to help once he's king? Yes, yes. He has an unusual name. You got it. Mephibosheth. You cheated. You looked. I shouldn't have said the text. I shouldn't have announced the text. Jared, you got it. You are scholarly, and, and you know what? You don't have to know everything. You just have to know where to find the answers. And you knew. So <laughs> it was kind of an open book test right there. And you got it right. Mephibosheth is the guy. And tonight we're going to look at this story of when David blessed Mephibosheth. And uh, I've preached on this message to you a couple of times. Once I preached on this to the congregation gathered at Mel Trotter. This was the text I preached the night that it was my turn to preach there. And uh, so I think it's a a familiar story to you because you've probably heard me preach on it one time or another. And uh, maybe you've heard it before. Is it familiar to you? Okay. Rusty, is that one that you're familiar with? Great. And Reagan, you with us? She knows it. She knows it. All right. So um, before we read this chapter, 2 Samuel 9, I want to ask this question. This is not so much of a quiz, but something for us to reflect on uh, and kind of a way to review some things we've talked about recently. what, What drives David, what motivates David is his heart for God. He wants in all things to please God, and he's constantly looking to worship God. And as we've looked at the life of David, we're learning things about worship. We're learning about what it means to have a heart of worship, and how we can constantly and everywhere we go be worshiping the God and uh, our God. And how how um, we're, we're told that all we're to we're told in the New Testament that we're to do everything for the glory of God. That's how David lives his life. When God tells us in the book of Acts that David was a man after my own heart, that's what that means, that he sought to please me. He sought to, God's saying that he, he sought to honor me in all that he did. So we've seen David live this life of worship, live for the glory of God. But how has David's desire to worship God and glorify him how, is that, how have we seen that bless other people connected to his life? I want you to just think backwards with me for a little bit. We're in chapter 9, so let's talk about chapter 8 for a second. In chapter 8, we notice that David was blessed in his leadership. Because he had a desire to worship God, and when they conquered those other nations, he took all that came in and he said, this will be for God. This will be for the glory of God. This will be for the temple of God. And so in everything he did, he's honoring God. But we noted last week that his sons 
and some others were beneficiaries of David's style of leadership, his worship, his worshipful way of leadership. So, in a way, his own sons were were beneficiaries of David's life of worship. In chapter 7, that's where God promises David that he's going to make his, his family, his throne will be established forever. Forever there will be a king from the line of David to sit on the throne of Israel and even the throne of this entire world in the person of Jesus Christ. So in that, who, who's being blessed? Because David has this heart that wants to worship and please God. Everybody comes after him gets blessed. Every, every member of his family gets blessed. Every member, I mean, on down to, to this moment, they get blessed. We, uh, we saw David bless all the other worshipers in chapter 6 when he brings the ark of God back to Jerusalem. When they finally get back with the ark of God and they're worshiping. Remember, David dances his way up the hill to Jerusalem, up to the, uh, to the city of David, and he's worshiping God. And when they get there, then they really worship God and they make these sacrifices And there are so many sacrifices that David takes the abundance of what they have, the meat, the bread, the wine, and he distributes it to everybody that's there worshiping God, the fellow worshipers. And then we see him even go home with the aim to worship, or excuse me, to bless his own family. So you could say that all the people that were there worshiping, they benefited because David was the way he was. His own family benefited because he was the way he was. In chapter 5, that's where God establishes Jerusalem. God allows David to take Jerusalem, and for the first time in history, Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. And who gets blessed in that? Where's the blessing in that? Well, the people of Israel had a place to worship. That's special. That's, how, that's just one other way that David's life touched the life of his nation, his people. But also, that's a significant blessing not just for Israel, but for all of the world. Because one day, and, and listen, God promised and said that that's a place that he chose to put his name there the place of Jerusalem. I was really excited to go to Jerusalem a couple of years ago when we made our trip to Israel. And I remember telling my grandmother uh, you know, about my trip and she was telling me that she was afraid that something was going to happen to me when I went over there to Jerusalem or to Israel. you know. And, and I said, I said you, you wouldn't go with me and look after me? And I tried to get her to come along you know, and keep an eye on me, but she said no. She said, and this is what she said, I'll never see this Jerusalem, but I'll see the new one. Because one day, every, every believer will worship God in New Jerusalem. Heaven coming down. And so it's a significant piece of real estate for everybody on the, in the world. And so those are just a few ways. But here in chapter 9, David's heart for God does something extraordinary for someone who needed help desperately in his name, as Jared told us, is Mephibosheth. Okay, let's read chapter 9, verse 1. And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? 
And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldst look upon such a dead dog as I am? The king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto, my mas- unto thy master's son all that pertained to Saul and all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shalt till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits, that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread all the way at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, According to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the kindness that David showed Mephibosheth. And we're excited about it because we see so clearly the kindness that you have shown each one of us through the person of Jesus Christ. Now I pray that you would help us to worship you. I pray that you would help us to see you tonight. And what you, wanted, what you want us to do, I pray that that would be seen. I pray that our hearts of worship would do something for somebody, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of tonight's message is, Worship, What Does It Do For Them? What does it do for them We've talked about worship and what it does for God. It glorifies Him. It pleases Him. It makes Him happy when we worship Him. Worshiping God is why we were made. It's why we were saved to worship God. But we've also learned as we've studied David's life that worship does something for us. We've seen David at a moment when his family was kidnapped And as far as he knows, they could be dead. And everybody in his camp wants to kill him, literally. We've seen David at that moment grab his Bible, get alone with God, and as he said, as the Bible says, he encouraged himself in the Lord. He worshipped. Worship did something for David. And, And we could look at a ton of examples like that. And we've outlined a little bit what David's heart of worship has done for other people, but there's no more of a clear picture 
of this principle in the scriptures than right here in this chapter, 2 Samuel 9. It's such a beautiful picture of what someone with a heart for God can do for somebody else. And that's kind of the direction I want us to take. I've got four things, no, five things that I want to show you. Five different ways that David's heart did something for them. Okay? Number one, David's heart for God reached out. David's heart for God reached out. In verses 1 to 3, what's David doing? He's set down. He's settled down. The ark of God is home. It's in Jerusalem. He's conquered nations. He's back home. The wars have ended at least for a while. He's back home and he sits down and he's not wondering what he should do. He knows what he should do. He says, who is there in the family of Jonathan that I could show the kindness of God to? I want to show somebody how kind God is. And so he reaches out. He, no, he reaches out from Mephibosheth. He, he, he makes an inquiry. He says, who is there out there in the family of Saul, the family of Jonathan, that I could show kindness to? Now he's doing this for two reasons, you could say, because he wants to show that God is kind. Also, he's doing it for Jonathan's sake. Because Jonathan was his dear friend. Because he made a promise to Jonathan, the son of Saul, that though they had to part and go their separate ways, he made a promise that he would always care for the family of Jonathan and even the family of Saul. Jonathan says, remember me forever. And Jonathan has died in battle many years before this moment. Mephibosheth, the Bible tells us, was just, I believe, five years old when his father was killed in that battle. And he's a grown man now. He has a son of his own, even. And what happened was, when word came to the household of Jonathan that Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle, that Israel was beaten by the Philistines, that they just went running out to hide, running maybe into the hills or mountains or maybe to a cave. They go running out of the area where they were, running for their lives, and the maid, the nurse, who was carrying Mephibosheth, fell or something. There was an accident, and Mephibosheth was crippled. That's what happened to him. David said, is there, is there somebody, because of my friend Jonathan, that I could show the kindness of God unto? And he sends the servants out to look. They make inquiry. Now, if we have a heart to see God glorified in all things reaching out with the gospel of Jesus Christ should be a natural outgrowth of our worship. If we really come here to worship God, and if we really worship God on our own, then sharing the gospel of Christ should be natural to us. It should be an outgrowth of what we're doing. I want you to know that I have no respect for someone who claims to share the gospel and love people but doesn't really love God. How can those two things be? I think there are people out there who make a business of trying to share the gospel and talk to people about Christ, and maybe they're more excited about condemning sinners than seeing sinners saved, but nonetheless, there, there might be some who are out there preaching the gospel, but it's not because they love God. I'll tell you what, I, I think I could probably browbeat you into sharing the gospel more than we do. 
Maybe you could do the same back to me. But I'll tell you what I want more than anything is for us to do what we do because we love God. It has to be a natural outgrowth. No one's looking at... No one's looking at David. We're going to have to nail this thing down. No, one's, no one looked at David and said... Either that, we're just gonna have to, yeah, it's going to have to be more solid. Okay, some of you guys help me with that. We'll put it on our list, things we want to fix around here. Um, nobody's looked at David and said, hey, hey, David, don't, now look, don't you think you better do something? It ain't his wife whispering in his ear, hey, hey. No, this is David's heart. His heart for God reaches out. His heart for God. Um, by the way, I think uh, on the same point, I, th- I think we should also be reaching out in other ways too. Not, not just the gospel, but what about the way we treat each other? What about the way we care for each other? That, should be, that love should be there for the brethren as well, for our, our brothers and sisters here in our church and, and beyond our church. Reaching out with love, giving to people in need, working to meet the needs of people. That should be a result of our heart for God, our heart of worship, like, like it is, that's the case for David. Um, look at verses 4 and 5. And the king said unto him, Where is he? Ziba, the servant. And this, is a, this guy's a holdover from Saul's household, from Jonathan's household. He's probably an older guy now. Ziba, a lot of times passed. There were definitely moments where Ziba was a wanted man. There, there might be a chance that Ziba wonders why he's being called before the king, King David. He maybe thinks, uh-oh, maybe David wants to settle the score a little bit more. It could be that's what he's thinking. So Ziba comes before David. That's who he's talking to. He said, where is he? Where is this, where is this man? Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir from this place, Lodabar. The king sent and fetched him. Now, if David's heart reached out, we might say here, number two, David's heart for God searched out. David's serious about this thing. You know, he's not just sitting back on his royal throne saying, you know, if, uh, if any of the relatives of Jonathan show up, I'll really bless them if they'll just come here to the, the court. If they'll come before my royal throne, I'll bless them. No. Searched out. He sent the servants out. Go find him. He sent them to this place of Lodabar, which the name Lodabar means no pasture. It's a barren place. It's a, it kind of pictures for us the, the deserted world of sin that we live in. David's heart for, to worship God apparently had feet. And he searches out for somebody to bless, for somebody to help. And then I have to ask, and I'm asking myself too, does our life of worship move us to make a difference in the lives of people? Do we even try? Do we even make an effort to do that? You know, maybe, and I, I think we'd all have to admit tonight, yeah, we're not seeing God just doing amazing things right now at this moment. We're not, people aren't clamoring at the doors to get in here, okay? But are we trying? Are we making an effort? If, 
if we have a heart to worship and please God, I think we'll find ourselves making that effort. Searching out, so to speak. Let's remember what David did. It was This is also natural for him to do this. I think if he had not been the king, and it probably would have caused a problem for him to go out catting around all over the place, he probably would have gone himself. But he sends his servants out, find him, fetch him, bring him back here to me. His heart for God searched out. Number three, let's read verse six before I tell you. Verse six. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. I love this. And David said, Mephibosheth. He just says his name. He doesn't say anything else. It's like David saying, I know you. I know you. And he's about to give him the invitation of all invitations. This reminds us that that number three, David's heart for God called out. It reached out, it searched out, and number three, it called out. He calls out, he says the name, Mephibosheth. This reminds us This is a picture for us of how God called out to us where we we were. Like the first day Rusty walked into this place. January 15th, 1992. You got it, write down. You came to this place and you heard that Jesus loved you. Pastor Kripe gave the invitation. And he told you, Jesus loves you, Rusty. He'll save you. Rusty said, how can I be saved? I've done so many bad things. Pastor Kripe said, Jesus can save anybody. Huh? I've heard you tell it a couple times. No, stop it. Stop it. Pastor Kripe said, Jesus can save anybody. He can forgive any sin. Jesus came to us in our sin. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He he looked at you in the mess you were in and He called your name. He said, Adam. And we responded in faith, believing that Jesus died for us and that He rose again. That's salvation. This this calling reminds us that God is still, that Jesus is still the Savior who seeks and saves. Have you called unto Him and asked Him to be your Savior? In other words, have you responded to His call in your life? What, what was number three again? David's heart for God called out. Called out. And remember, if Jesus is still the Savior who seeks and saves, then we His followers must be doing the same. I love what Brother Zingri said to us when he was here at our revival meeting. He said, if that's true, or he, he said, he asked the question, how do we know that that verse is true right now, today? How do we know that Jesus is still seeking and saving? Because his people are still seeking. We're looking for people to tell the gospel to. We're looking for them. David's heart for God called out. Number four, David's heart for God gave out. Now, if you have a sense of humor like mine, I wrote this and I sort of tripped myself up with it. I don't mean his heart stopped 
You know, like it gave out, like kaput. No, that's not what I'm talking about. So I just wanted to clear that up. You probably didn't think that anyway, did you? And I just wasted all of our time saying that. Yeah, okay. I thought so. Gave out. (laughs) It gave out. What I mean is he was giving. He had a giving heart. This also is an outgrowth of where he is with God. Because he wants to please God. Because he worships God. Because that's what motivates him. The glory of God. That makes David a natural giver. Look at verse 7 again. Or maybe we didn't. Yeah, we read it earlier. Verse 7. And David said unto him, Fear not. You know, Mephibosheth thinks, man, he probably wants to kill me. Just, Just being a part of Jonathan and Saul's family is enough to put a death sentence on Mephibosheth in his world. It would have not been uh, uh, a strange thing for David to kill Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth thinks, he just knows he's at David's mercy. That's all he knows. But David says something to him that blows his mind. Fear not, for I will show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake. I'll bet you Mephibosheth just tears probably welled up in his eyes and he, as he thinks of his dad. Because don't you imagine Mephibosheth knew about the bond between David and his dad? I imagine he did. I imagine the whole family had heard the story. Jonathan probably sat around and told him a time or two, David was my friend, or David is my friend. Even though he's an outcast, even though David was on the run, hiding in caves, Maybe Mephibosheth knew that they were friends. And maybe he'd always wondered, I wonder if, my, if David the king still cares for my father, though he's gone. Well, that's all, that, that's all cleared up right here in a moment. Because of your father, I'm going to show you kindness. And then he says, And will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Now, how did David get a hold of this land that was Saul's and that would have been Jonathan's? How is it David's to give? Well, he fought a war over it. Remember, at first David was just a king at Hebron over Judah. That's it. But then they have a civil war. Ishbosheth, who would be an older brother to Mephibosheth. He was the, the rival king of Israel, of all the other tribes. They fought a war over it, and David won the war. Therefore, that's all David's. He gets everything the king had, which no doubt was a sizable thing. Now, it's David's. No one else has a right to it except David. It's his. People died for it. Some of David's men and even relatives shed their blood so they could, so David could be king. So he could be established as king. And then, therefore, so that he could have that land that was Saul's. Now, that's not, I'm not saying that was even the motivation for it, but that's kind of a fact. <clears throat> it is a fact. Okay? So to give something like that up, is costly. What what David is doing by giving Mephibosheth all of that land, he's giving part of his kingdom 
to the old king's grandson. It's kind of crazy from a political standpoint. But listen, David's heart for God gave. Giving was natural and painless for David. He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't second guess. God put it on his heart. Boom, he's going to do it. Why? Because God has his heart. That's why. In Acts 20.35, the Apostle Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders and he says this, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak. He's talking to church leaders. How that laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he said, and he's quoting Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's what Jesus said. It's more blessed to give than to receive. You know when that's true? When God has your heart. We don't have to give begrudgingly. In fact, God says in 2 Corinthians 9-7 that He loves a cheerful giver. That verse in its entirety says, 2 Corinthians 9-7, Every man according as he purposeth, watch this, in his heart. So let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Wow. Giving's connected to the heart, not to the bank account, not to your wife's check register, not not to mint or YNAB, or it's connected to God. Okay? It's connected to the heart. One last thing. David's heart, we're just seeing, we're just going through this story with Mephibosheth. His heart reached out, searched out, called out, gave out, and lastly, his heart for God took in. Took in. Took Mephibosheth in. David's not just saying, here you go, here you go, Mephibosheth, here's the land. But he goes a step further. And listen, David didn't have to do anything that he did for Mephibosheth. Just like God didn't have to do anything for us, he doesn't owe us a thing. We need to always keep that in mind very clearly. God doesn't owe us anything. David doesn't owe Mephibosheth a thing. But he gave him all that land back. And verse 7 says, and at the, the last part, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. He tells Zeba, he speaks to him again, and he says, uh, I've just given Mephibosheth everything that was your master's, and now I'm ordering you to get back into his service back into the service of the family, you and your sons after you are going to till his land, you're going to work his fields, so that he's always got everything that he needs. And then, look at verse 11. Part B. As for Mephibosheth, says the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. He's, he's not just saying, 
Hey, Mephibosheth, you're welcome to come over for Thanksgiving dinner because you're our friend. No, he says, I want you to be part of this family. Um, trying to remember his name. Oh, my goodness. He preaches on the radio. Oh, boy. I've got his books, for goodness sake. Should have wrote it down. I read, he's got this series of books. <laughs> this guy's a preacher. Um, Paul Harvey was practically a preacher. He, but anyway, um, good night. He wrote Grace Awakening, and he wrote this series of books on Bible characters, kind of like my character sketches, but more in depth. And he wrote one on David that's just really neat Chuck Swindoll. Good night. Wow. Chuck Swindoll. Chuck Swindoll said in his book, when when he came to this chapter, chapter 9, he he says about this story that this he feels like this is the greatest and, and just clearest explanation of the grace of God in all of the Old Testament. This is the grace of God on display for everybody to see. And this part really makes that hit home that Mephibosheth becomes part of David's family. He says, I want you here with me. You're not living in Lodabar anymore. I want you here at the king's table. David's heart for God took him in. He said, I want you to be a part of us, of our family. Look at verse 13. It says, So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table. And was lame on both his feet. He was taken care of. David's heart reflects God's heart. And so should ours. God is interested in taking in the rejected and loving the unlovable. And that's exactly who Mephibosheth was. And that's exactly who you and I were. Rejected by God because of our sin. Unlovable. Yet, God showed His perfect love to us. And He gave His Son. You and I fit that bill. So let's love Him. And let's love those whom He loves. What a great God we have. David, he said, I want to show Mephibosheth the kindness of God. But guess what? Because God saw fit to record this in His eternal book, He just showed us how kind He is, how great He is. Now, I'll tell you what, I I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know exactly what kind of battle you're facing, but I can promise you tonight, you have reason to worship God. Why? How can you say that? Because He's kind. No matter how hard things are, no matter how rough things are going, no matter what you face, God is still good. He is still kind and, and if we look and if we trust, I believe that He will show us His kindness over and over and over. But as we take it in, there should be something coming out. And we can return that love, that kindness, not, not just back to God, but to somebody else. If we really are worshipers of the God of heaven then what does it do for them? It should make a difference. 
Let's let's stand together and, and we'll close in prayer and be dismissed.